Patrick Monaghan. How you doing, morning? Good afternoon. What time is this going out? It's on a podcast, so oh, whenever Jesus. people listen to it. Yeah, usually about three in the morning. Yeah. Isn't it? I don't yeah. know. I've taken to when I'm on a bus journey, if I'm if I'm quite bored and I want to just be there. Yeah, yeah. I've taken to listening to podcasts then because you, you get so engaged that it's a bit like a little like a teleporter. Do you know what? I'll be honest with you. I've done loads of podcasts, but I've never done. I don't even know how to get them. How do you get it? Just podcast? on iTunes. You're joking. You go on iTunes and you just do a search. And what's iTunes? Uh, it's this <laughs> special <laughs> magical land. <laughs> Someone from the northeast. I'm struggling with the with the t- no TVs are all right. iTunes. I don't, everyone keeps telling me about it. It's great, isn't it? Do you have a? I have a radio. Player? Okay. I put a radio and I'm just switch it on. Do you have a Walkman? Do you listen to music or anything wandering around? No Walkman. Do you, like a cassette player. Do you remember them? Yeah. Yeah. No. I'm briefly interrupting to let you know that I'm Marsha from yesyesmarsha.com and this is from a series of interviews that I did from 2009 to 2011 called Marsha Meets, which were long-form interviews with stand-up comedians that eventually inspired the book Off the Mic, The World's Best Stand-Up Comedians Get Serious About Comedy. That book's out now on Bloomsbury Publishing. Back to the interview. Do you know what? I actually, which is slightly shameful given my job, I got my first MP3 player about four months ago. Oh. I was still working off Discman's. What, like a CDs? <laughs> and it was really embarrassing on the tube. <laughs> yeah. I'd have to like whip out and carry on. That is hilarious. Can you yeah. imagine oh, just before that tape? What was the old one they used to have? Reel to reel. Oh, I'd love that. I'd love to be sat on a train and just someone just pull out an old reel to reel next to you like that and just cutting up like that. But retro's cool. Yeah. You should start it off. Yeah, what, Real to Real? Your Real to Real Walkman. Yeah, check out my website, www.real to real, get with the 2009 project.com. <laughs> would that be .com? It wouldn't, would it? No, I don't know. It's too modern for Real Some to Real. Some sort of stone yeah. chipped away. Anyway, hello. Hello, morning, <laughs> great, afternoon, evening. Afternoon, Depends yeah. what time you, yeah. you got this on Real to Real. So, Patrick Monaghan, you are multicultural comedian. You multicultural. are you're Irish and Iranian. Your dad's Irish and mum's Iranian. No, I'm uh, black and uh, Chinese. Because for people listening at home, obviously they can't see me. Oh, yeah. And uh, I've got very Chinese features, but uh, I sound Caribbean. Can it, you tell that? They can hear they you. They probably won't be able to tell. Yeah. But Irish and Iranian, that's my parents. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And you lived there, didn't you, till you were three? Yeah, I grew up in Iran. Basically, like in a nutshell, the story was my dad is from Ireland. Because I always have to explain, because people never, like, they always go, oh, wow, that's, they think it's a joke or something. I said, no, it's true. And then he was uh, in Ireland, then he went to Iran, he was working. And he was working in construction. He met my mum. She was working in the bank just before the revolution, the Shah. And then they got together and then they had the kids and they had like us lot in the family. And people always think it's a romantic story. But obviously nowadays it's not. If you tell someone, look, someone who works in construction who met someone who works in banking and they get together, you know what I mean? That family's going to be on benefits, you know, credit <laughs> crunch and all that. And then basically they grew up there and then because of the revolution and stuff and then there was the wars and all that sort of thing. So they moved us. Because my mum, I remember she was... When we were kids, she said, oh, you know, she goes, I do not want you to fight. I do not, because we would have to go into the army, into conscription. And then, uh, so she moved us to uh, Middlesbrough, Teesside, which was ironic because we were just fighting for the rest of our lives there. It's just mental. Fighting nutters, that's what it's like. Middlesbrough is not exactly multicultural centre of the world. What, Middlesbrough? Yeah. He's choking! Oh, it's brilliant. Honestly, if you scratch underneath the surface... There's like loads of um, worms from Ghana. And uh, no, there's, there's nothing there. Middlesbrough's great though. I liked it because you could sort of blend in. But the problem is, and this is what my one of my new shows is about, the new stand-up show. I mean, you always touch on it a little bit. But it's about fitting into groups. Because every kid, it doesn't matter where you're from, you always want to be accepted by a group. So I remember growing up in Middlesbrough and obviously 
people knew that your mum was uh, foreign. Like, they would come around my house and, and my dad would go, all right, uh, what's happening? And he would talk like that. And my mum would go, and then she'd answer the phone to him going, hello? Is that Uza? Is that Yuli? Like this, right? And my mates would be all going, why do your parents talk funny? And I go, what you're about? They just talk normal. Then I go around their house and their mum and dad are going like, all right, like I can't even believe it. I'm going, and your parents talk normal? They talk mental. They sound like Ant and Deck or something like that. So I would grow up with that. But then you go through this thing, you know, where you grow up. And this is the show this year, I think, about fitting in with your friends and trying to find who your mates are. So I could, this year's show is Cowboys and Iranians because it was all about when we grew up, like, I would class myself as Northern, even though you're Irish. On paper, you have to put Irish, Iranian. And I remember I'd be with my mates, and we'd play games, and they'd go like this. they go, OK, um, right, Lee, Gary, Paul, and Dave, right, we're going to be the Cowboys. Patrick, you're the Iranian. And I'd be like, what are you on about? What, just me on me own? That's mental. But it was all right, because I still won, you know what I mean? Because they had, like, plastic guns and rope, and I had nuclear weapons. And then I'd talk about that, and then I'd talk about the background about just fitting in all the time and stuff. Yeah, it was good. I think it does help, particularly for stand-up, though. I think it's fantastic. Well, with your stand-up, when you very first started, you didn't talk about this much, because you do in your stand-up now. It's a big part of it, talking about your roots and things. When you very first started, you didn't. Do you know what the problem is with most people, when they come on, with stand-up, you've got to remember, the difference is between, you know, people always go, oh, yeah, my mate's dead funny and he's a hilarious you know you should do stand-up and you think look everyone's funny when you're with your mates at the bar but the problem is you can't just go on and talk about like oh and gary will tell you about this happened oh it was funny then and you think yeah but it's not funny on stage so when you go on stage you've got to remember that there's 300 people 400 people and they're drunk out their heads or or might be a festival crowd they might be sober but they don't know who you are apart from a little two paragraphs they've read about you somewhere. So they don't know anything really about you. So when you come on, you've really got to instantly connect and to make them laugh. So for me, when I was doing stand-up, and particularly when you're playing quite, not rough gigs, but you're playing gigs around the country, you know, if you're turning up to Salford, doing a gig at 11 o'clock at night, when I'm starting out, the last thing I want to do is walk on stage and go, hello, my mum's from Iran, my dad's from Ireland, and they go, well, piss off back home, dickhead, you know, like that. So you just want to connect with them sort of thing, because you remember these are all people who are drinking and they're having a night out, so I would sort of just come on and do observations, something that's going to connect and stuff. But then now you do. Now you talk about it Now I mix it up. Now, yeah, obviously I'll go on, do some stuff about what's happening, and then I talk about my background. Because now I think... As you get more experience with it, you develop like that until eventually you get comfortable. Then you can talk about real-life stories. Like, only now, I mean, this is, like, my um, seventh show. It's my fifth solo show, sixth solo, like, one-hour show. And only now can I do, like, you know, mostly shows just personal stories. I talk about growing up, and this happened to me. Or, or I did this recently, this. And only now you can feel comfortable doing that. You talk about your family and stuff a bit. What yeah. do they think about it? Because you're on, like, it's... I'm oh, yeah, yeah. that your mum's uh, quite uh, traditional. Oh, it? yeah, 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 exactly. It's hilarious. I mean... The thing is, what the great thing there is, is the cultural thing, is that in Iran, they don't have stand-up comedy, except for the politicians and the system. It's just like, it was something, because my dad loves it, obviously, he, like, he likes, you know, Dave Allen, we grew up with that sort of thing, watching comedy like that, but my mum wouldn't have a clue, you know, she'd be like, she'd be like, what are you watching this? Why are you watching, like, to my dad, like, he's watching it, there's a bloke on stage talking, and my mum going, this is, what is this crazy, like this? And then, but once I started doing stand-up, she loves it, so she'll come out, she'll sit at the back of the gig, hasn't got a clue what's happening, she'll be just sat there like this, and just go, yeah, okay, because English is a second language, so she's sat there like this, and then, uh, and then she'll just wait, and she just, and you just see her watching people and see if they're laughing, and then <laughs> she, she's laughing like that, like, and agree, oh, that's nice, and, that. and I think she is getting she understands a bit now. I think she's understanding it. I think whereas before when I said to her, she didn't understand what the job was, which is fair enough. If someone said to me when I was a kid, when you're older, you're going to stand up in front of 300 people on a Friday, sat now and tell them stories and have been drinking for three hours. 
I'd be like, yeah, all right, thanks, mate. Yeah, carry on smoking the drugs. I'm going to go back to maths now, thanks. Who's going to do that for a job? And I think that was the same for her. I think when I explained that to her, she was just a bit puzzled, thinking, why are you, who are these people? Why are you talking? And then, um, and she loves it. She comes along and she'll watch and stuff like that. And I think with Iranian culture, it's very, Iranians are quite physical and they're very chatty, which is like me. This is like one of the things I talk about in the show, which is, even though they don't really have like a stand-up comedy, but Iranians would be perfect for it. It's like the Irish, they'll just talk and talk and talk. Because I think that's where I get my talkative from, is from being northern, which is just very friendly. They talk Irish talk and Iranians. I mean, look at Iranians, they've always had bad press. Like in the 80s, 90s, you know, they would take hostages, but they weren't really hostages. They're just people to chat to. And they'd be like, oh, but he's tied to the radiator. Yes, we are trying to keep him warm while we talk. And I think, again, so it's all culturally, it's weird. I think it, they're all good ingredients. But it sort of fits in. Yeah, fits in. And what is weird, actually, in a way, is that in Iran, the whole stand-up thing, they don't really have that culture, do they? Because you can't really talk much about politics, which is probably a bit... Like us anyway, here in the like up north, you can't really talk about politics because people go, "What's he on about?" Come out for a pint and a sandwich and some jokes or something like that. So, yeah, I don't know. I think it's it is similar in some ways and different. In other. You've done telly stuff as well, um, yeah, kind of just, various bits and bobs. You did a thing on BBC Three, Malai monologues, where you had to go and do gigs like on yeah. the street. Oh my god, yeah, yeah. So I did the Malai thing. Came back from Mega Malai which was a stand-up on the BBC Two show. So you remember that like, you had the, the normal mainstream stand-up on BBC One, which was like, I think Tommy T and Norlem used to host it. Then they did like a little spin-off for BBC Two, but they did it as like a Asian or whatever the thing is, you know. And it was so funny because I remember my mates going to me, going, I didn't know you are Asian. I said, I didn't either, but it's a gig, I'll take it. And I remember turning up and it was so funny because they had uh, Russell Peters, who's Canadian-Asian. So he hosted it and then there was a mixture of all different acts. Some are Asian and, or some had a slight... So my connection was obviously Iranian. So I went on and did it and it was, a, it was just like doing a gig. It was just easy, you know. So the film stand-up for TV, that went well. And then after that, they went, OK, right, we want to get some of these guys in to do some stuff. And they went, let's think of some ideas. So instead of us actually getting us to do some ideas for shows and stuff. Instead, they went, i tell you what will be brilliant. Instead of getting them to write a show or doing stand-up in a nice environment where we've already got 300 people, they thought, oh, it'd be hilarious. We'll go on the streets and do some stand-up, which is probably the worst idea you could ever... It's like, it doesn't matter how good you are, and don't forget, even at that point, I was still quite inexperienced. So even even if you got a really good start, imagine you could get in Lee Evans or Peter K, someone who's really good, and then sticking them on a night bus, you know, just going, hey, I'm quite funny. Listen, to people just go, who's this? Who's this? And like throwing cans at them. So, so where did other. you have to do yours? So I did mine on Camden Locks, and it was brilliant because what I did is I ended up getting a pack of cards and just pretending to people I was an illusionist, trying to get people around. And once they were there, then I started doing. But to be honest. There was no way watching that you would think, oh, that guy's a good stand-up. You just think, this guy's a nutter, you know. <laughs> but he's all right, you know. And that was what it was like, really. It was just... But, yeah, so I did that. So it was all quite successful TV. But that, no, no. <laughs> and then you've uh, done loads of stuff on the Paul O'Grady show now, which you you dress up a lot. <laughs> oh, I love it. Love it. <laughs> As his glamorous lady yeah, assistant. it's brilliant, man, honestly. Is it a fun show? What oh, are the audience is like? It's, yeah, I've never done a gig where the audiences range from 14 to 111 and they're just like you know and there's some people and people and it is lovely at first honestly I swear to God if you bring like stand ups or other people coming to have a look and you have a look at that audience and you think oh my God these people have come in here to die because they're that old and there's like biscuits on your fingers and they'll come and lick it and they're just like they're lovely people don't get me wrong but it is totally different to a stand up audience where it's just like us like our age or middle aged people you can go out and have a laugh this audience was because it also it's free for them to get in and they've come to see a TV show 
but it was such a good gig to do because it teaches you how to do stand-up without swearing and to make it connect with everyone. And you've just to be you've just got to be funny. To be funny is not to just to rely on your set pieces and routines. And so that is as well as doing the stuff on the show, doing the warm ups before doing the, the show. Warm-up, so getting and then, them, yeah, yeah, no, which does how, look like a weird gig to do. Yeah, no, no, exactly. Well, I mean, doing that, doing that warm up did lead to getting on the show because they think, oh, the audience like him, whatever, and we'll get him on. And then they dress you up, and I've done all sorts of that, which is great. I mean, you go on dressed up as Amy Winehouse, uh, cowboy, you know, all sort of gay icons you could think of. For a straight bloke, it's brilliant. I mean, you know, my mates up north are not seen for ages and our Iranian family and all them. I think they're quite proud now, seeing yeah. dressed up in heels <laughs> for the dress on Channel 4. You've done warm-ups for quite a lot of things, a lot of shows that I would have thought would be scary things to do warm-ups for because people have got high expectations, like Jonathan Ross, the oh, yeah, IT yeah. crowd, my favourite brand. Oh, you like the IT crowd? Oh, yeah. my God, I'm slightly no, well, t- Do you know what? That is... Yeah, no, the audience was... Because I've done a few sitcoms or daft things like that where I've done waltz and the audience, the only thing was, was classic. Like, you'd be coming on, hey, how you doing? You're all, you're all excited. And they wouldn't, at first, it would take them a while to get them up, but they'd be all right, and they'd be going, all right, and then I'd do some stuff, and they'd go, what do you do, mate? Yeah, and he goes, IT, lovely. Okay, what do you do? Web design, lovely. What do you do? IT, lovely. What do you do? Systems program, lovely. And I think, I think I've got the theme here. Do you want to work in IT just because of the show? And that's what it was. It was all full of literally 350 people had come in and because they're IT fans and they all work in IT, had come to watch a sitcom. And it was brilliant. Once we got that, then I could just take the mic and, and that was it. And I did that every week and it was brilliant. Um, so as well as that, you've done gigs all around the world. You've done some jammy gigs. Yeah, and it? Barbados. Barbados, St. Lucia, St. Martin, St. Vincent, Abu Dhabi, Dubai... Doha, Paris, Germany, all these places. And it's hilarious because I never travelled for about 20 years or whatever because my mum was freaking out. She didn't want us to go anywhere with the passports. And then as soon as I started doing a stand-up, then I just started getting sent to all these places. It was brilliant because I'd never been all day. You know what I mean? So I was like going to these places and, and just loving it. And it wasn't really work. You know, you'd turn up to Barbados or somewhere and you do three half-an-hour sets. So you do an hour and a half in total of stand-up and you're there for seven days. I think... Who organises this? It's just stupid. You've just paid me to come and hold it, and you're paying me as well. Crazy. Would you ever do a gig in Iran? I would, but I don't think my mum would let me. She'd go mental. <laughs> See? Yeah. Oh, no, no, I don't think she... I don't know, not yet. I think later on. I would love to go back, but I'd love to go and see what it's like. But, no, I mean, I'd have to... My farce is not very good. It's all right, but I'd have to... How would I do it? You know, i just come on and... Could you imagine going, hey, I'm all right, like this? And they'd be going, you know, they'd be... My accent, when I speak... I speak to my mum and or whatever arranged, but they wouldn't understand it because it sounds like when I talk farces, yeah, yeah, Robasti, cello, you know, it's like talking like with a Geordie accent and it's just, it won't make sense, you know, translating like that. I don't know, would it, would it be um, something in the future? It'd be a great TV show or something, but I don't think I'd just turn up with my bags and set up a gig and say, yeah, let's rock and roll. Have you still got family there? Yeah, every, Iranians, man, they don't stop. They're like Irish. They're, everyone is related. They're just crazy. And um, have you been in touch with any of them? Because obviously it's in the news a lot at the moment. Oh, yeah. It's hilarious, all that, the the voting and stuff. Uh, Yeah, my mum still speaks to them all and, you know, and stuff like that. And, yeah, we still see people. But uh, Iranians are like the Irish. They've spread everywhere. They're like in Iran, a lot of them, France and America. But that's the problem. It's like what's been in the news where, like, this voting thing this just on the weekend gone where Ahmadinejad got back in and Missouri. I mean, look, to be honest, I haven't got a clue 
who's better or worse. I mean, obviously, Missouri's a lot better because he's more... Uh, for Western people, he's better because he's more liberal. But the thing is, this is classic Iranian... Po- and this is probably one of the reasons why my mum wouldn't want us to go back, because we grew up with that whole... In Iran, there's no... They are very nice people, but there's no word for democracy. So, for instance, they might have all voted for Missouri, but you still put Ahmadinejad back in, because it's like that when we grew up, my nan would be exactly the same. She would come in the house. It's They don't understand what the majority means. Like, she would come and she'd go, OK, uh, put your right hand up, who wants to go to the park? Left hand up, who wants to go to the mosque? You know, so all of us would put our right hand up, and she'd go, OK, one, two, three, Chero, Panji, Shahash, and she can't. She'd go, four of you want to go to the park, and just me go to the mosque. OK, everyone in the car, we are going to the mosque. And you'd be like, what are you on about? We just The majority is to the park. She goes... No, 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 we go to the mosque. I said, well, what do you ask us for? She goes, because I wanted to give you a choice before I tell you what we do. You know, <laughs> and that's the problem. That is typical. That's what's happening in Iran. You know, they give them an election, but you're not... It's a choice, but it's not really a choice. They've decided what's happening. And you've got this... And it doesn't matter even if Missouri got in, it's still... You've still got the people above and stuff. And and I don't really know much about it to talk about how... If it's right or wrong sort of thing. And I think that's the thing that my mum doesn't like, that particularly for us because we're so used to this Western lifestyle that it is, you do get a democracy and you get freedom. To go there, it, you, yeah, you would. I mean, could you imagine if I went there to stand up, they would take my act and there'd be some bloke on the side just going, OK, and every time I'd talk about something, I'd talk about uh, anything. It could be women, I could talk about anything, I could talk about the news or whatever, and it'd be constantly, it'd be constantly censored like that. It'd be like, you know, doing a gig here in, uh, I don't know, in Bournemouth and then some government official on stage with a clipboard and every time you're about to speak, I don't know, like Family Guy did a classic thing with a hooter or something like that, you know, every time they try to speak, they would hooter it or something. It'd be just, that's what it would be like. It'd be crazy. Do you talk about um, the stuff that's going on at the moment in your stand-up? Um, just, yeah, only if it's like that, if it's something that I can relate to my family and stuff and going on. But you've got to remember there's so much going on in Iran or in the news that not everyone keeps up with it. Because you've got to remember, like, you've got to say to them, look, it's Ayatollah Khomeini, he was there in the revolution after the Shah, and then it's Khomeini, uh, then it, he passed on to Kamati, he passed on to Khomeini, and then he's the supreme. Then you've got the people underneath that. It was the president and that this, da-da-da, then in power. Anyway, now that you know that, is the joke. So it's like, whoa, people are like, so much history before you can even get to a joke about it and stuff. So I just stick to the stereotypes, like, oh, you know, Iranian men, big moustaches. Our uncles, they had massive moustaches, like that. They had to eat twice as much food, one for them, one for the moustache. You know, <laughs> that sort of stuff is nice. So your Edinburgh show, we talked about it a bit earlier. You're also doing a kids' show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love this, because this is something for me, I think, and for the kids, because I'm quite, you know, obviously I'm not very serious, but the thing is, when I do, particularly when I do solo shows and, and theatre shows and art centres, like I'm on a tour at the moment, and I go around these art centres, and I don't... When I do club gigs, yeah, all right, I can swear, and it's a John's late-night gig, but in general, when I do theatre gigs, I never swear, or I don't do anything blue. There's not... In my material, there's nothing graphic. Like, particularly for most male comics of my age or ever, there'll be at least some references they'll talk about whatever, you know, masturbation, or they'll talk about sex. I don't do any of that. I've never done any of that. So I just talk about things that I do growing up and observations and family things. And it was weird. Every time I did this, the last four or five years, I noticed every time, and it was getting more and more, like, as it was getting busier and busier in the theatre, we'd find out that I'd be doing a gig and just loads of kids would be turning up to, like, my stand-up show at, like, 7, 8 o'clock at night, and I'd be going... And I think it was two years ago, last year, 
then that's when we realised, you know, because I was doing a gig and there was these two 11-year-old lasses here. And I went, all right, how old are you two? And they went, ah, oh, we're 11. And I went, oh, brilliant, oh, 11. And I started messing about and people were laughing and having a little joke. And so I looked around them and there were some women here and there's some... And I went, are these your mums? And they went, no. And I went, are these your mums? And they went, no. And I said, well, where's your mums? Where's your dad? No, they're, they're having a drink outside. We just come in to watch the show. And I was like, what? And I thought, oh, my God. So I knew at this point, I thought, I've got to do two shows now because... And it was like that every night. There'd be, like, kids coming, like, 13, 14-year-olds coming with their parents, sometimes on their own, coming and stuff. And it's because, basically, the thing is, that's the beauty of the festival, is that, you know, everyone's up there and it's for families. But a lot of good stand-up... Look at young kids now. They watch a lot of... They're watching Mock the Week or they're watching TV shows and they love people like that, you know. But the problem is they can't get into them shows because when you actually go and see these comedians, they're actually... Their material is obviously 18-plus. So then they were going, oh, wow, so there wasn't... And they were going, oh, yeah, we want to come... And they've seen me do, like, family shows or clean shows, so they would come to it. So I thought, well, look, I might as well just do two shows, do one where I can just do for them in the afternoon, then it's easier for them, then they're not panicking and stuff, and then I can just do an adult show at night. It's nice, you, you might as well, if you can do it, just do two shows. So I did this... Um, I've written it, and I'm going to come on as a character, me, just dressed up, really, as a an old Arabian storyteller or something. And then I've written loads of these, like, stories and fables... And so what I'll do is the first part of the show is me just doing a bit of stand-up and stuff, link it in, and then I go and sit down, and then the last half an hour of the show I do, like, a story from my little book that I've written these stuff. And I love it, and do you know what? And it was writing stuff where when you write stand-up, like, I've got pads at home and you write stuff and you think, yeah, this is nice, but I don't think this would work. I don't think adults have got the patience or this would work for a stand-up thing. And then eventually now, this is the time, I thought, oh, wow, all of this, I can use this for kids because they love that it's quite physical... And they love the messing about and all that sort of thing. Whereas stand-ups, we just want to yell, right, you know, OK, where's the next joke? Get on with this, yeah. Tell me about my missus, what's wrong here? You know, whereas kids, they love it. You can just be mental and stuff like that. So in Edinburgh, so you've got the two shows and your website, we'll give it another plug in a minute, patrickmonaghan.co.uk. Before you go, two things. One is... It was fine, but you were half an hour late to come here. I, but it was no, fine. Do you know? Sorry. No, no, no. But yeah. I'm always late. Yeah. But I knew that you were always late. Yeah. So I found oh, this will be useful to us both. Thank you. On the internet, Dr. Beverly Potter. Yeah. She's a psychologist from Stamford University, specialising in career and workplace issues. She's got three hot tips to help you if you're always late. Yeah. First one set your clock to the correct time. See, that's where I'm going wrong. I've not even got a clock, so I need to do that. <laughs> well, she was saying if you set it fast, it encourages you to be late because you think, oh, because I've got you loads think of time. Five but I always do set my clock five minutes fast. And then you always think, oh, I've got loads of time, so you end up no, doing loads of stuff. Very good. Okay, number two. <laughs> this is insane. If it's oversleeping... Then do what I made an employee do. Hire someone, pay them a lot of money to come and get you out of bed and stay there until there's no danger of you going back to sleep. Oh, my God. <laughs> this woman's a psychologist or a murderer. What is it? Some sort of serial killer. What? I always pay someone to come round the house. Mental. And the final one, whatever amount of time you think it'll take you to do something, like getting dressed or driving somewhere, double it yeah. and begin it much earlier. When you have all that extra time, you'll turn up relaxed she and early. She must be some sort of professor, because I, <laughs> I wouldn't have thought that. I would have thought less half it, <laughs> half the time. No, I never sleep in. It's, I just never sleep. That's the problem. I go to bed about four. People think comics are lazy. I mean, generally they are. But <laughs> it's like people think, oh, it's a life of Riley. Sleeps until two o'clock in the afternoon. 
terrific. But then, if you've been to bed at... Yeah, four, and I, I'm up at... T- I mean, I'd like to have a lie-in, but there's always some bloke sat next to me trying to wake me up that <laughs> some professor's sensor has sent round. Well, that's one gift I'm here. taking that. Thank you very much. And the other that, one that's is... brilliant. I also heard that it's your birthday on Tuesday. Oh, my God! And yeah, how do you know that? And that you're oh. a fan of two different things. Oh, my God. Cakes <gasps> and chocolate. Oh, my God. I told you this. <laughs> Got you a little chocolate Oh, cake. my God. Oh, people, for the benefit of people at home, I'm crying. I'm really oh. Thank you. Even so, my family don't know it's my birthday. <laughs> well, maybe now they will. Oh, this they is listen lovely. to the podcast. Oh, look at that. So your website is yeah. patrickmonaghan.co.uk. .co.uk, and it's Monaghan without the G. Thank you very much for coming in. It's beautiful. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks very much. And thanks for the cake and the... Uh, <laughs> the three tips that's it never late again thanks so much for listening if you like that you'll probably love the book that I put together with Deborah Francis White called Off the Mic the world's best stand-up comedians get serious about comedy so asking them things like what's your writing process how do you find your voice what do you think about touring how do you deal with hecklers we interviewed 42 stand-ups including Eddie Izzard Sarah Millican Phil Jupiter Stuart Lee Mark Maron it's out now on Bloomsbury Publishing if you want to find out more go to yes yes marsha.com forward slash off the mic.